If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and then the book of John, um, I forgot where, John something, we'll, we'll get there eventually. Isaiah 9 and John something is what we're going to be looking at today. And we're starting a new series, and the series is called Hidden Christmas. Uh, as you might be aware of, we're entering the Christmas season now, we're actually in the thick of it. And Christmas has become pretty much a secular holiday inside of our culture. Uh, depending on the advertisement you're looking at, you see like Christmas is all about family, or Christmas is all about maxing out your credit cards. Christmas is all about all of these different things, and depending on who you ask, they will tell you what Christmas is all about. And it's generally not that, you know, Christmas is all about that God has come to us, and we have, you know, restoration, redemption, we have a Savior. That's not typically how our culture thinks of Christmas anymore. In fact, I was reading uh, one person, I know on Reddit, you can run into some interesting stuff, and the first like, Christmas is my favorite of all the secular holidays, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting that we've come to that point. But even for people who celebrate Christmas as a secular holiday, and in the culture, the way we celebrate it, there are still things that we do that go back to what it is that we see happen in Jesus. And the first one of those is lights. Every one of us uh, not everyone, but most of us celebrate with some sort of Christmas lights. Businesses do it, we do it as individuals. Uh, for me, growing up, Christmas lights were one of my favorite things in the whole world. Because my dad would go out there and he'd put up all of these lights on all of the gables in the house and all of the peaks, and he'd be on this rickety old ladder, and you'd always think it's the last Christmas with dad because... <laughs> because <laughs> something terrible is going to happen, and my mom's like, oh, Ken, please don't do it. And he's like, we're going to do it. I don't care if it's a blizzard or what's going on. We're putting up the lights, and then they'd stay up till June. I don't know. I just didn't leave them up the whole time. And then we'd decorate the Christmas tree, and we'd put them around the windows in the house and the little candles in there, and it was just beautiful. I loved it. It made the world to, you know, a third and fourth grader, the world looked magical with the snow. And today we have the snow, and I love the snow, except for on Sunday mornings when there's church going on. But other than that, the snow's pretty great. And I would go out there at night when everybody else was asleep. I'd sneak into the living room, and I would turn on all of the lights. I'd just sit there and marvel at the beauty of the tree. I'd marvel at the beauty of the lights and the darkness that was around me. And then I decided I'm going to try to recreate that for my children. Actually, it was more my wife that decided we were going to do this. But I remember how wonderful those memories are. And so uh, she's laughing, looking at me. But uh, there's maybe, I mean, nothing makes me want to cuss more than trying to put up lights. Now that might sound bad for a pastor to say, but it's like the most maddening thing that you can ever do because I get the lights that we bought last year after we threw out the ones from the year before that. And it's just this big rat's nest. And you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to untangle all of this. Who put these away? Anna, was this you? And she's like, no, you did it. And I'm like, oh, why did I do this? And so you finally get them all untangled, and you wrap them around the tree, and then you plug them in, and there's blue lights only. That's the only color that's working. And so you're going through, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, every light, is this the one that's bad? Is this the one that's bad? And you keep going through, and you get to the end, and it's still only blue lights. And then I just take them, and I throw them away, and uh, I go out, and I buy new lights. And then I wrap those up, and usually it still doesn't work somehow. But uh, this year, I decided that we were going to do something different. Actually, my wife did, because she was tired of me losing my salvation every Christmas. And so <laughs> she went out and she bought those projectors that project on the house. You don't have to get up on the ladder, and you don't have to you know, actually string up lights. And they were beautiful. My wife was like, these are so beautiful. They're so perfect. I have my little piece of you know, happiness. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. And this was so much easier. And they lasted two nights before they were stolen. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, the Grinch came to my house. And so now the kids have no lights this year. It's like, just deal with it. We have lights halfway up one tree in our yard, and that's it. 
But when you drive around other people's yards, you see lights up. And you see businesses that have lights up. And when it gets dark out and you're driving around, the world looks beautiful, doesn't it? The lights are magical. The lights remind us of something. The lights bring joy and even peace into our hearts. And lights are more than just a beautiful decoration that we use at Christmas, but they're a beautiful symbol that goes all the way back to what Isaiah was talking about in chapter 9 of his book. And it says this in Isaiah chapter 9, verses uh, 2 through 7. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who, st- who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The first thing that Isaiah is saying in this passage is that we live in darkness. And as he's writing to the people, the nation of Israel, it's a very dark period in their history. They've uh, been conquered, uh, they've been exiled, families have been split apart and torn in two. There's economic unrest, there's political unrest, there's great fear that's going along with their everyday life. Uh, They've lost hope. They are a people that they had promises that they believed in. They had a hope that they had set their hearts on, but they had found themselves humiliated in every way. They had seen the breaking apart and the death of their dreams and their families, all of their hopes. Everything was crushed from them at a spiritual level, at an economic level, at a national level. Uh, Everything that could be taken away from them had been taken away from them. They were living in a dark time, and the people of God, that's what they viewed themselves as. God, we're your chosen ones. You've come to us. You've made these promises. We're supposed to be the ones who are worshiping you. But instead, we've been scattered across all of the nations. We've been conquered by every army in the world. We've been exiled, uh, and other people have brought into our land, and they've brought uh, paganism and idol worship with them. God, we don't look anything like what it was that you said we would look like. They found themselves in a place of deep spiritual darkness. And this morning, can you identify with that at all? Does that sound anything like the world that we live in today? We might not be a people who are exiled, but we're still a people in a nation that's living in darkness. We still have fears that are around us. Our nation is more divided than any point I can remember in my life. There's more economic unrest than I can remember. Racial tensions and racism are higher than any point that I can remember. I'm a young man still, but things are looking worse than they ever have in my lifetime. Families are continuing to be destroyed. And the families that are together are oftentimes marked by infighting and divisions and hatred towards each other. Uh, People are suffering uh, with their finances. They're working hard, and you just don't feel like still financially there's enough. You worry about your retirement. Will there be a retirement? What's the world that we're leaving to our children going to be like? When we look around, it's easy to see that there is a lot of darkness that is existing in our land. What Isaiah was writing to the nation of Israel over 2,000 years ago was something that could really very well fit into today's context of our culture. 
But what he writes to them is that in the darkness, a light will shine. You might be in darkness now, but the promise God gave the world was that in darkness, a light would shine. You haven't been abandoned in darkness. God hasn't left you hopeless, but into the darkness, he says that a light is going to come, that a light is going to shine on people that are living in deep darkness. Have you ever been left alone in the dark? And what's the one desire that you have when darkness is all around you? It's you want light. Light is what you crave. It's what you desire more than anything else. You just want some light to come in and to dispel the darkness that's around you. Uh, really, a, a fear of darkness or uncomfortable darkness isn't something that we're born with. I remember with my kids when they were just newborns and you'd take them into the room, you'd lay them down in the crib, it's pitch black and they don't care. You could put them down and the sun's shining on their face and they don't care. They just sleep. But at some point, they became aware of the darkness that was around them and it began to stir up in them a desire for light which is why we go out and we buy all the nightlights and we crack the closet door open so there can be light in there because the kids have a fear when they're just in the darkness. They feel alone. They desire a light to come to them. And for us, it might be that we're not even aware of the darkness that we live in. It's possible to live in a world that is dark in a culture that is filled with darkness and not have an awareness of it. You can have that beautiful bliss of where you don't recognize the darkness that's around you. But at some point in your life, you become aware of it. And when you become aware of the darkness that's around you, what you desire more than anything else in the world is for light to come to you. And one of the things that makes Christmas so beautiful is that it comes to us at the darkest time of the year. When we're going around and we're stringing up these beautiful lights is at the time of year when we have the least amount of daylight, when the nights are the longest, when they're the coldest, and when they are the darkest. For me, in September, that's when seasonal depression starts to kick in. The sun sets before 9 o'clock, and I'm like, oh, Anna, we need to move. We need to go you know, south of the equator now. We're going to live the endless summer thing. And so by December, now, I'm ready to just get a bunch of ice cream and some sweatpants and stuff myself silly and go to sleep for a couple months. Like I, I want the sun to come back. I don't want to live in the darkness. And the lights, when they begin to illuminate and they cast color and beauty into the world around us, it's the perfect time of year for that. Because it's at that darkest time of the year that we string up our lights. And it's at the darkest point of our lives that Jesus brings light to us. It says a people living in darkness, a people living in deep darkness. The imagery there is that it's unimaginable darkness, as dark as can possibly be. It's actually referring to the idea if you were to go to the bottom of the sea, no light could penetrate there. There's no hope for any light ever to touch the sea floor. But to a people living in that kind of immense, hopeless darkness, God says, I'm sending a light. Sometimes we get this idea that darkness can be so dark that light could never penetrate it. We can look at the world around us, we can look at the circumstances that we find our own lives in, and we can say, it's so dark what's going on inside of my life, what's been done to me, uh, what I've done to someone else. It's so incredibly dark that there's no hope for light to ever be able to penetrate this. But darkness can never extinguish light. In fact, it's the opposite. Light always chases away the darkness. You go into a room without light, you flip the switch and the darkness is gone. It's never the darkness overcomes the lights and shatters the bulbs. The moment light comes, darkness is dispelled. 
The dark can never extinguish light. And so God comes to us with a light that cannot be contained, a light that cannot be extinguished, that can never be defeated by darkness. And when this light comes, it says that we will rejoice. Because the reason we rejoice is it says that God, when the light comes to us, it's going to uh, break the yoke of slavery that's over us. It's going to lift the heavy burdens off of our shoulders. It's going to smash the rod of the oppressor and destroy all of the tools of violence forevermore. Every system of oppression will be gone. Every sorrow will be gone from us because God's glorious light is going to be sent to us as a people. And it will completely overcome the darkness. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that the desire of every human heart? As we see the darkness around us and we want light, we want light to come to free us from all of the things that have enslaved us, from all of the oppression that we've gone through, all of the the violence and everything else that we see in the world around us. We want that to be gone and to be chased away by light. The question is, where does this light come from? And how is it going to happen? That's the question we all ask ourselves. That's what we're all trying to answer. It's why we have governments. It's why we have political parties. It's why we have philosophers and poets. It's the end goal of technology and sciences. We're always trying to find solutions of how do we dispel darkness and how do we bring light into the world that's around us. It's the goal of every organization that exists on the face of the earth. We all want to dispel darkness in some manner and in some way bring light into the world that's around us. We're all trying to create a utopian society. That's the goal. Vaclav Havel, who was the first president of Czechoslovakia, had an interesting and very unique perspective because he lived under communism and then he lived under free market capitalism. And after seeing and experiencing both of these systems of government and economics played out, after uh, all of these experiences that he went through as a leader, he came to the conclusion that neither of those nor any other system of government or economics would ever be able to bring light into the world. He saw what science and technology could do when unbridled from morality that gave us the fear of nuclear war that he lived through. He saw what it was that could happen. He had some experience with the Holocaust. He saw what technology could bring to us. He saw what governments could bring to us. He saw the best and the worst of what humanity could produce. And he said the problem with humans, he said that the human race is constantly forgetting that it is not God. And because of that, we are not able to create a better future on our own by our own devices. See, the light isn't in us. The solution isn't in us. The popular belief in our culture today is that there's light in every one of us. And if we can just come together and let our light shine forth together, that we're going to be able to create a better society and a better world for us and overcome the evils and the ills that we see. But I would argue that the evidence is stacked against that. The solution isn't in us. The problem is inside of us. It's never that light continues to spew forth from us. It's always darkness comes out of us. And that's why we see the broken systems in the world that's around us. That's why we see the world falling apart in so much uh, anger, so much hatred, so much division, so much sorrow in the world around us. Because the things that we do are just the sum total coming out of us of who we are. If the light was in us, we wouldn't do the things that we do. But because darkness is in us, we see a darkened world around us. 
And that's why Jesus, or God says to Isaiah, he says that the light isn't going to come out of you. He says the light is going to come to you. He says that the light is going to come from outside of us, outside of our systems, outside of ourselves. The light is going to come to us and shine on us in the darkness that we have been a part of creating. Light isn't a philosophy, it's not a political party, it's not a technological breakthrough, it's not anything that we can come up with. The light is Jesus. Jesus is the light that God promised to a world that was living in darkness. Jesus is the light that breaks the chains of slavery. He's the light that lifts the heavy burdens from us. Jesus is the light that comes and brings joy to us in our sorrows. Jesus is the light that gives us a hope for a future. Jesus is the light that dispels the darkness and the light that can never be extinguished. And Jesus, in John chapter 8, he says this of himself. He's talking to the people. It says, when the people spoke again, Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What Isaiah was looking forward to as the dawning of the life, uh, the dawning of light, was realized in the coming of Jesus. Jesus was the hope that God gave to all of fallen humanity. Jesus is the light that came to us, a people living in deep darkness. And he comes to us, he's the wonderful counselor. He's the prince of peace. He's mighty God. He's God taken on human flesh and he came to be the light that would drive out all of the darkness in this world and would bring us freedom and hope and salvation. He would give us new life. In fact, this idea of light, what Isaiah is talking about, what Jesus is referencing, is really an analogy to the sun and what the sun is and what the sun does for us. And the first thing that the sun does is uh, light gives life to us. One of the understated benefits of having a sun at the center of our solar system is that it keeps us alive. If the sun were ever to be extinguished, so would our life. We cannot survive without the sun. And in the same way, we cannot survive without the light that is Jesus. He's the one that created us. There would be no physical existence for us without Jesus, the one who created all of the universe, all that is, that's spoken into existence. But more than just physical life, he gives us spiritual life. You've probably all had that moment when you recognize, I am physically alive, but I am not living. In other words, you're in a job that you hated or you recognize that there wasn't a purpose to your life or a plan to your life and you recognize, I'm physically alive but there is no life that's inside of me. And that's the awakening that every one of us has eventually is that we might be living, we might be breathing, there are respirations and all the other things that are required for life to be sustainable but we aren't living. That there was more that we were created for than this. And when Jesus says, I am the light, he also says shortly after that, that I am life. He says, I am the light of life. One of the things that Jesus came to give us was life itself. And he defined life. He said, life is this. It's knowing God the Father and the Christ whom he sent. 
Jesus said, what that really living is that you're desiring inside of your hearts is knowing me. It's knowing God. It's knowing what you were created for. It's knowing the one who created you. It's so much more than being physically alive. It's so much more than having a job, even having a family, hobbies, all of these other things which are all great. But if you don't know Jesus, if you're not in relationship with him, then you don't have life. You don't have the fullness of life that God came to bring us. The thing that until we have that we continue to search in other places to have life inside of our hearts. And when Jesus says it's knowing God, that know means, uh, it's like how you know your spouse. It's an intimate knowledge of them that continues to grow. You will never get to the point of where you know your spouse fully. They will continue to surprise you for good and for bad. But with Jesus, it just continues to surprise you for good, how good God is. And there will never be a day in your life where you wake up and you've reached the extent and the fullness of knowing how good God is and how great his blessings are for your life. And there is no greater fulfillment, no greater joy or contentment that will ever come to you than knowing the one who created you and knowing how great his love is for you. The light brings us life. And then number two, light shows us truth. My friend Ben uh, was two years older than me, and growing up, we were always playing together and hanging out together, having our parents drive us places together. So when he turned 16, he got a car, and it wasn't a cool car like some other kids got. It was a 1978 Volkswagen Rabbit. And this was in 1996, I think. So it was you know, an old car by then, and it wasn't cool when it was brand new. And we'd be riding around in this thing. I remember we'd be coming home from youth group on uh, Wednesday nights, and it's dark out, and we'd be driving in this little VW Rabbit, and we would hit a bump in the road, and the lights would turn off. <laughs> there was some short in the wiring where we're just, you know, we're doing 55, 60 down this country road, and we hit a bump, which is a ton of on those roads, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the pitch black, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, screaming like, Jesus, forgive me of every sin I might have just committed and wasn't aware of. You know, I'm like, I'm coming home to see you. I got to get right with God instantly. And he's like, it's okay. And he starts banging on his dashboard. And then we hit a light and the light comes back on. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm never riding with you again. And this would happen every now and then. The lights would go off. You just start banging on the dashboard as we're driving. Now, what happens is the truth around us did not change whether the lights were on or off, right? The trees were still there. The rocks were there. The curves in the road were there. None of that was affected by whether or not we had the headlamps working in his car. But our ability to see truth was greatly altered. We were blind without light coming into the world that's around us, so we knew how to navigate through it. Without light, we would not have lived very long because we wouldn't see the curve in the road, we wouldn't see the trees, we wouldn't see the rocks. Our life would end. And it's the same way for us. We live in a world where truth exists, whether we see it or not. And without the light of Jesus in our life revealing truth to us, we will be navigating the curves and the obstacles and the traps and pitfalls of life without any knowledge of what truth is. 
Did you have one of those moments maybe before you became a Christian where you thought something was totally fine and acceptable? Because we always define our truth based on the, the society and the culture that we live in, which continues to change. The things that uh, people believed 100 years ago, we all look at them like, these, these fools, you know, how could you ever have believed that? We look at people, you know, 100 years before that, and every generation looks at the people before us, and we all think that they were complete idiots, and how could anybody have ever believed that truth? Thank God we're all so progressive and enlightened, and now we finally understand what truth is. The next generation that comes after us is going to think we're bigoted idiots. And we're going to be like, what? This is certainly clearly truth, but society will continue to change. Culture will continue to redefine what truth is. And that's why it's so important that we have light in our life that comes from the revelation of Jesus illuminating the way that he's called us to live that is unchanging because without that in our life, we will be in the Volkswagen Rabbit going down the country roads at midnight and eventually we're going to hit something and it's going to wreck us. And that's not what God wants for any one of us. The reason God reveals truth to us and the reason we've seen the image of God in Jesus is for our benefit. And we are wise to follow the light and the revelation of truth that he brings to us. And then number three, light is beautiful. We never go out into the darkness and say, look at how beautiful this void is. We love sunsets. We love sunrises. We love lamps. Light is beautiful and it's attractive to us. There's something that just draws on our hearts when we see light. And this is what's so beautiful about the light that is Jesus. It's that we're going to go through heartache in our life. Every one of us absolutely is going to know heartache. We're going to suffer. There's going to be great pain and there's going to be great loss that we encounter in life. And one temptation is to look at God and say, God, if you're good, how could you ever have let this happen to us? God, if you really are all-powerful, how was it that you didn't prevent this? So God, either you aren't good or you aren't powerful. One of those two has to be the answer. But I think what we see in the incarnation is a different answer. It's that we might know great suffering in our life, we might know great heartache and great loss and go through seasons of where our faith is tested. But God hasn't left us isolated in that. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven. He gave up perfect union with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He gave up the worship and the adoration of the angels. And he came to us as a child, as a son that was born to us. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to lose someone he loves. He lost his earthly father. He lost friends that he loved. When Lazarus dies, one of the most beautiful things about the story of Lazarus isn't just that he was raised from the dead, which is awesome, but to know that God wept at the loss of Lazarus. God knows what it's like to be sick. God knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be despised. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. 
everything that we've ever gone through, anything that we ever could go through, God came and he went through it too. He came and he identified with us in our weakest moments. He came and he went through unbearable suffering and agony on the cross. He went to the point of where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt like that? Jesus has felt like that too. And he died on the cross for our sins, not his sins, for our sins. And he thought it all worthwhile. Because what he wanted was to enlarge his family. When it says in Isaiah that it was going to increase the nation of Israel, that's how I was increasing the people of God. Jesus came and humbled himself and he suffered and he identified with us and he died so that he could enlarge his family. That is the picture of a God who is good. That is the picture of a God who is all-powerful. That is the picture of the God who is light that has come into darkness and is now able to dispel all darkness and is able to bring us hope. He's able to bring us joy. He's able to bring us a future. That's a love that is beautiful. And that's the light that we all have this morning that's come to us. So my question for you is, what is the darkness that you find yourself in this morning? What is the pain? What is the suffering? What is the, the unbelief that's in your heart? What is the darkness that you're going through right now? Because the light has come. It's come to you, to a people living in the land of darkness, the light has come. To those living in deep darkness, a light will shine. And the light of Jesus is shining this morning. And it's there to dispel the darkness that's in your life. And maybe it's a hurt. It's a loss that you're going through right now. Maybe it's a hope that has been shattered inside of your life. Maybe your heart has been shattered and you need for it to be mended. Jesus said that I came to mend the brokenhearted. Maybe you've been living in bondage to an addiction or a sin issue that you're struggling with. Jesus says, I came to set free those who are in captivity. Maybe it's that you are struggling right now because you feel distant and you feel separated from God. Jesus said, I came that you might know me. I came pursuing you. I came laying down my life for you. Jesus made a way of salvation. He made a way of life. He made a way of healing for us by coming into a dark world, laying down his life so that our sins could be forgiven. And all we have to do now is to turn to the hope and to the light that is Jesus and allow it to come into our hearts and for us to raise our hope and put it on him. Not on us, not on the systems of this world, but Jesus, my hope is in you. My hope is on you. And my hope is through you this morning. God, would you speak to us this morning? How would you reveal that area where darkness, where I've been living in darkness, where darkness has come into my life? where I've been living in fear, living with anxiety, 
And I felt like there was no hope. This morning, I invite you to come into that place in my life. This morning, God, we need you. We put our faith and our trust in you that you will heal, that you will restore, that you will bring life, that you will bring light. God, help our unbelief. And speak to every one of our hearts right now to confirm what you're doing in us. God, we ask that your light would shine brightly in our hearts. God, that your light would shine brightly in Radiant Church. Lord, and through your people, that you would shine brightly in our city. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.